Welcome back, everybody, as uh, we start a new week here on Sports Talk. Happy Monday, along with Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We're coming your way. 600 ESPN El Paso. 880-5763. That is our telephone number as we uh, get rolling on our Monday show. A lot to talk about today. A lot to talk about. Number one, the Miners won. The Dallas Cowboys won. Do you know that it has been more than a few years since we can say that in the same week? It almost never happens. Last time, we, 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 we did some digging. Last time in a week, UTEP and the Cowboys both were able to win. How about November 24th and 26th, 2016? Some of you probably thought it was, you know, more, uh, you know, longer than that. No, it's not. But I will say this: um, it, it has been a while, and ultimately, I'm happy. I, you know, the miners did their job on Saturday. Might not have been the prettiest thing in the world, which is something I'm writing about on our website right now for you to to, to read uh, later. But they got it done. They got the job done. The Cowboys, listen. There are certain times where you can look at a team and say they're at, they have no business winning a game. No business. That was yesterday against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, let's be honest. The defense was a mess. We already know their injuries in the uh, you know the, in, on the defense of the linebacking core. They gave up 39 points. 39 points. And 29 of those 39 in the first half. That's what was so unbelievable. You know, Atlanta, less than 400 yards of offense, but they got it done early, stunned the Cowboys, and they were up 29-10 at the break. But the Cowboys chipped away, a couple of Dak runs in the third. Then in the fourth, when you needed some big plays, the touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz. Another run for Prescott. He had three runs yesterday into the end zone. And then, let's be honest, the onside kick that was recovered by the Cowboys has to be probably the second worst choke in the Falcons' history. The first being Super Bowl 51 where they blew the 28-3 lead. That's still right up there, okay? No doubt. That is right there at the top because it's the Super Bowl. It's not a regular, it's not week two of the season. It's the Super Bowl. But coming in at a close, close second was yesterday. And I can just imagine how the Falcon special teamers were mesmerized by the spinning football. From Greg Zerline, how it just kept spinning beautifully over and over again. And the players just watched it until it crossed the 10-yard mark. The Cowboys were smart. They they pounced on it, got it back. Dak delivered a terrific fourth-quarter comeback performance. And by the way, you know, for all the uh, criticism on Dak Prescott last week, look what he did yesterday. 34-47, 450 yards and a touchdown, 
and three more touchdown runs for Prescott. So, you know what? The Cowboys had three turnovers. Didn't, uh, in my opinion, didn't deserve to win. But hey, when it mattered most, they took advantage. The Falcons figured out a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. The jaws that wanted to close so many times, but it just couldn't close because the Falcons didn't want it. They wanted to give it back to the Cowboys. And you know what? When you want to do something bad enough, that's exactly what happens. And the Cowboys figured out a way to do it, 40-39. to Simply put, an unbelievable uh, comeback that ended in win. And you wonder, Adrian, at the end of the season, assuming we get to the end of the season, could this be a game we look back as a turning point where we said, man, Cowboys would have been 0-2. We know the division is terrible, but still... You know, it's they, they would have had some work to do, and instead they figured out a way to get a win out of a, out of a, a game that should have been a guaranteed loss. Yeah, you, you talk about going 0-2 and then having to play Seattle next week for Sunday Night Football. Talk about all the pressure that would have been on the Cowboys. So I'm with you as, as far as a big what-if scenario. I, I even go to the special team coach and John Fassel. He was a previous special teams coordinator for the Rams, so I know him real well. And hey, a 45-degree angle is how they structured the onside kick. The new rules don't allow you to stack a side, so it's very difficult for teams to now get get the onside kick recovery successful. But I can't believe it. When I saw that and I saw Greg the Leg do that, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes that not one Atlanta Falcons player dove on that ball or even kicked it out of the bounds. You win the I'm game telling right you, they were there. Hip, they, were, they were hypnotized. They were, Adrian, they were hypnotized by that spinning football. They were. It didn't bounce. It spun. And they just watched it. Kept watching it. I mean, you're right. Kick it out of bounds. Do something. Don't just sit there waiting to see if it crosses the 10-yard marker, which it eventually did. And by then, they covered it up, and the rest is history. I'm with you on this. A hundred percent, Adrian. So, you know, they had a chance, and uh, the Falcons just couldn't get it done when they should have. And you know what? When you have an opportunity to win a game and put it away and you allow it to slip away like they did, then you know what? The Cowboys don't deserve to lose. The Falcons deserve to lose. Let's be honest. After the way that onside kick worked and how how hard the Falcons worked to give that game away, then you know what? You deserve to lose Atlanta, and you did. And good for you because that is absolutely inexcusable in my mind. Inexcusable. So good way to start the show. Good way to start. I do want to get to Aaron Jones and what he did yesterday. The the nice thing about having the NFL Sunday ticket and not having to watch Jets football after the first five minutes, which is basically what happened yesterday, that game was so bad, if you're a Jet fan, that by the second quarter, you knew it was over. Another miserable performance for Sam Darnold in the Jets offense, which has nothing, and this this is going to be a season that could be one of the worst in the history of the NFL. It's going to be awful for them. Absolutely awful. So the Niners beat the Jets. So that gave me a chance to really focus on watching Aaron Jones against the Lions. And boy, was he amazing. If, you, if any of you watched that game, because it wasn't on here, so you have to have the, the ticket or go to a sports bar to watch it. 
Aaron Jones, phenomenal. Phenomenal yesterday. He does it all. He runs, breaks big, big ones like the 75-yard touchdown run. Incredible receiver. Acrobatic catch yesterday where he beat a cornerback. He blocks. I'm telling you. I'm, I am in an argument that never ends with Robert Garcia. And anybody that's listened to me for years, you know the name Robert Garcia. He, he, he has our draft coverage. He pops on with us from time to time. Listen, I've been trying to tell Garcia for a while now that Aaron Jones is right there in the upper echelon of running backs. And he, even after yesterday, came back and told me, no, he's not. He is leading the second-tier group of running backs. But he's not going to get more than 9 or $10 million a year because he's not Zeke. He's not Saquon. He's not Dalvin Cook. He's not um, Derrick Henry. And he's not Alvin Kamara. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm watching all these games. You're probably not. And I was in a good argument with him yesterday. And he said, he called me an El Paso homer, which made me laugh. But let me tell you, I think what Aaron Jones does and he's been doing since the beginning is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And he did it yesterday. And you could say, yeah, it was the Lions. They're terrible. Hey, you know what? I don't care. He's doing things against NFL defenses since his rookie year that he did as a minor. Except this is not Conference USA, and this is not uh, college. This is the NFL. It's the best, and he's doing it. It's amazing. All right. Coming up on the show today, Jeff Perlman is going to lead off our 5 o'clock hour. If you're a Lakers fan, you'll be excited because Pearl's got a brand new book out. That's, that actually uh, drops tomorrow. Three Ring Circus is the name of the new book from the New York Times bestselling author of nine books, Jeff Perlman, one of my faves. So he'll join us live at 5. In the meantime, we could talk NFL. We can talk Aaron Jones Showtime. We can talk Cowboys. We can talk Miners. Listen, I know you wanted a, a blowout win. Wasn't the case. I think they're very similar, these two wins. That's why I wrote about it. But you know what? They got it done when they needed to. Their defense is forcing turnovers. They're not giving the ball away like they've done in, in years past. They didn't have Deion Hankins yesterday on Saturday. But you know what? They got a good performance from Josh Fields. And Gavin Hardison did not play well in the first half, had some drops, was 4 of 12. You know what he did in the second half? He was 11 of 13. Made the plays when you needed him to. Adrian... I know nobody that's listening to us thinks this team is legit, which is fair. You predicted two wins this year. I predicted three wins this year. We're not changing our predictions. But you know what? They're at least winning the games they're supposed to win. These games were put on the schedule for them to win, get some confidence heading into Monroe, and if the Miners can figure out a way to start playing some some uh, football on the road the way they've done at home a little bit, stay in these games and, and come away winners in the fourth quarter, maybe they'll keep surprising people this season. Yeah, I thought in the first game, the only I, I thought there was a lot of similarities in this in these two w- games that they won between Abilene Christian and Stephen F. Austin, especially how the way that they kind of both got off to a sluggish start. I think the only difference would be in the first game, I loved what I saw from the offense. Obviously, uh, on Saturday, they were without Deion Hankins, obviously 
obviously without Quadres Wadley. Um, so so I didn't see the offensive production I wanted to see from the Miners, but they, the defense stepped up in a big way. I mean, they held strong. They helped uh, put the offense in a great situation, forced another uh, two turnovers, and that's big for this defense that has been hurting when it comes to things like turnovers, hurting when it comes to things like sacking the quarterback, and uh, stepped up in a big way Saturday. When you spent uh, the hour plus on minor talk Saturday night after the game, did you come away feeling like fans are starting to be a little more optimistic on football than they were when the season started? No, I actually think the fan base was very torn. I think that there were some who were positive and happy that they've won two games, especially since they haven't won two games in a season since uh, 2016. But you also go on the flip side and they look at the opponents who UTEP Mm -hmm. won and beat in these two games. And they get a little frustrated on how UTEP struggled in both Stephen F. Boston and against Abilene Christian. I understand that. I I think that when you're UTEP and you've played two games already, you've got those games under your belt, uh, you'd want them to start off with a little bit more urgency, at least to start off the game, not having to come from behind and then win, uh, win in the end like they did against both teams. I agree with you. All right, look, we've got two out of the three lines ready to go. We'll jump to the phones right after Charlie. Quarter pass, good to have you with us on our Monday edition of Sports Talk with 600 ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk 20 past, uh, good to have you with us, 880-5763, that's our telephone number. Pinky on the app chats with us and says, Cowboys game, best yogiism, it ain't over till it's over. Good weekend, Miners Cowboys win. San Francisco Giants are still in the NMLB playoff picture, and El Paso High School sports began. Pinky, happy to hear you're enjoying it. We are, too. Excited about all that. If you want to chat with us on the app, just like Pinky, download it. You can listen to the show, chat with us in real time. We'll read them. We'll answer you. We'll do it all. 600 ESPN El Paso. Free mobile app powered by United Bank. Let's go to the phones right now and begin with YYS. He's first up. Then we'll get to Orly, 880-5763. YYS, welcome. How are you? All right, Steve. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, thank you. Hey, Steve, um, let me just tell you uh, to quote. I want to quote something regarding the Cowboys and the Lakers, if you would indulge me. Okay. Well, to quote Vin Diesel's character, Dom Toretto, from the Fast and the Furious, regarding the Cowboys and the Lakers winning, ask any racer, ask any real racer, don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning is winning. I don't care... I don't care how they won, Steve. Was it ugly uh, for the Cowboys? Yes, it was. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It was real ugly. And let's just say uh, the Falcons not wanting it as much as uh, as Dallas did. I think uh, at some point, if you're finding ways to lose the game and the other team uh, isn't isn't taking advantage of advantage of it, what can you do, right? But the Falcons yep. did what they normally do, and that's choke away the game. And what can I tell you about the Lakers, Steve, other than Anthony freaking Davis? And that shot yesterday, I think I even asked Adrian and Sal, if yesterday's shot, Steve, was was bigger than the one Luka hit against the Clippers, or what do you think? You give me your thoughts. Uh, I mean, it's a monster because of of the situation and what it meant. 
Uh, look, Luca had an amazing performance, all right? Amazing. And that game was just phenomenal because he couldn't miss, fired from everywhere, and, and just watching him cap it off was terrific. Last night, everything was on the line. It was a huge, huge swing game because the Nuggets could have been tied at one had they put it away. But Davis had already scored 28 points, but it was a big moment. It's a big money shot. But let's be honest. Luca's a superstar in the making. Davis was 11 of 23 yesterday. It wasn't like he was on fire all game, all right? He shot less than 50%. But YYS, it was a money shot. It's a it's a game buzzer, game-winning buzzer beater. Jordan-esque, LeBron-esque, Kobe-esque. And you know what? Big moments, big time. And that's what it's that's where the Lakers got him. They got him for these kind of opportunities. Well, not to be banging last second threes. That's not really Anthony Davis's strong point, but he was able to, to deliver, and uh, it's a huge basket for the Lakers in this series. Huge. It is, Steven, and especially since for a player that had never been in the playoffs, and it seems every, every round he's gotten better. So I'm kind of excited. I don't like looking too far ahead because I know the Nuggets have that tenacity to – hang around and make it interesting. But I'm just curious how Anthony Davis will play come the final. So hopefully it'll probably be even bigger. And then just the the other, the last thing I want to talk about, Steve, is the rash of injuries, Steve. It's just crazy in mm-hmm. the NFL. All these major players are going out. And I did tell a buddy of mine because he was quick to tell me right away because for some reason, Steve, he keeps thinking I don't support El Paso talent, uh, which is not true. But he kept telling me, Hey, when's the last time in El Paso and led the, the NFL in rushing? So I told him, I go, you know what? It's good. I go, and I told him, McCaffrey's going to be out. Saquon's going to be out. I go, that should only give Aaron Jones a little bit more uh, games to pad the stat line. And then I told him, I think this time for sure, and, and you can agree with me or not, see, he has a legitimate chance to go to, go to the Pro Bowl. I know that you got Kamara. I know you got, uh, I know you got Zeke. Yeah, Cook. And Zeke. But, uh, yes. but Zeke and Cook have started off slow, and Aaron Jones hasn't. So I, I think he has a good chance, only as much as it, it sucks for me to say it because of injuries to other guys in his group getting hurt. This is his best chance, Steve, to have uh, go to the Pro Bowl, cash in. Uh, granted, we've discussed how much is he going to get paid. That's where me and you kind of like, uh, but he will get paid whether it's in Green Bay. I don't think it is because they don't value the running back position. If he has to go mm-hmm. somewhere else and get paid, that's, hey, he's got a family now. He's got to do what he's got to do, and nobody's going to judge him for it. There you go. Well said. Appreciate it, YYS. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks for getting in. Let's keep moving. Here is Orly up next. The sports talk continues. Orly, thanks for the phone call. Boy, we got a mass unit in San Francisco. Oh, it's brutal. That was brutal, that was brutal yesterday. Well, how about this? How about dropping like flies, and it didn't matter because the Jets weren't competitive whatsoever. They, there, there you go. Yeah, and when Mullins came in, I wouldn't worry about because Mullins has started before. He was three and five as a starter, so he's he's a good backup. I think if he plays against the Giants, they've got a a favorable schedule the next three weeks. It's Giants. Then they've got home against the Eagles and then home against Miami before they got to play the Rams. So hopefully mm-hmm. Garoppolo will be back by then. We'll get some of the ball players back. Um, but it was brutal yesterday. I mean, they were going down like flies. Uh, but 
that's part of the game. You're going to have to adjust well, first off, and do some trades. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. look, the, the big injuries right now is obviously Bose is going to be the one that's going to hurt you. Nick Losing Nick Bose is going to really hurt the defense. I mean, uh, no knock on Tevin Coleman, but they're so deep at the running back spot, they can, they can absorb that and be just fine, just like they can at the quarterback spot. But the uh, the Bosa injury, I mean, they're, they're supposedly finalizing a deal right now with Ziggy Ainsa, and you really kind of wonder, um, you know, what kind of an effect uh, losing Bose is going to have on that D. Well, this is where the rookie's going to have to step up and see what he's all about. Uh, as far as the UTEP, yeah, you know, if there wasn't a coronavirus, we'd be 0-3. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, not. Tech is really bad. They wouldn't have beaten Tech, they wouldn't have beaten Nevada, and they wouldn't have beaten Texas. Uh, I understand they're 2-1. I'm one of these that can't get excited. I'd be more excited if they won a couple games against a, a group of five. Uh, when you barely struggle, I understand. I mean, it's a win to win, but out of his four victories, three yeah. have come against division lower tier teams, and struggled with every one of them. Um, oh, don't forget! I forgot he lost also to Northern Arizona in the first year. Yep. So that's another one I forgot about. But you know, I just, I understand. It's excited. People are excited. They're two and one. That's a, you're looking at mirrors with that because, in my opinion, will they get confidence? I don't know. They're underdogs right now against Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, but you know what? Go on the road, beat Monroe, a team that's really struggled early in their losses to Army and Texas State. Go beat Monroe, and if they do that, then you know what? It's a road game. It's a Sun Belt opponent, but I'll be. It's a road game. It's a road win. That would be. That would be something that would definitely, I think, start to get uh, the attention of UTEP fans. That's what I agree with. Because when, when you beat one of the beat us, uh, uh, one of the like I said, not a Division Two, an FBS school. That's when I start getting excited because right now they, I couldn't believe how Abilene Christian just ran all over them, mm-hmm. all over them. This is a team that hadn't played a game. But let me say this, okay? Middle Tennessee is terrible this year. Oh, they're horrible. Western Kentucky is bad. Charlotte's not any good. Um, and you start to look at the uh, the rest of this, uh, the rest of this league. You know, Southern Miss is nothing special. The point is, is CUSA is an awful league. So, um, yeah. truth be told, you know, even if UTEP is is mediocre, they'll have a chance to be in a lot of those games. I mean, it's not like it's not like they're in the Big Twelve. CUSA is horrible. So, well, you know, you that's the one thing yeah. is, is this could be, you know, it's a growing season. I know for Dana, it's year three. Look, I predicted three wins. They've already ex- they've already reached Adrian's prediction, which was two. So, you know what? Uh, anything more than this is gravy after what we've uh, said so far. But I would love to see UTEP go out and, and keep playing well. I mean, they've got confidence, and they haven't had confidence in three years, Orly. Well, like I said, I, I feel more comfortable when they beat a group of five teams. Yep. But um, let's see what happens on the road. I mean, you've got the only good team in Conference USA right now is Marshall. They went in, they went in and beat Appalachian State, which I watched that game. It was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. No, Marshall's I also ranked. A better team. But, Look, Mar- all right, guys. Marshall, appreciate it, Orly. Thanks for the call. Marshall is ranked, and thank God UTEP doesn't have to play them this year. So, you know, if there's ever a benefit of that. Miners would have to worry about that. Listen, I think the majority of El Pasoans, Adrian, echo 
Orly's comments. And I agree with Orly. I think he's right. We're not trying to overhype UTEP. You can't overhype a team that's been this bad for so long. You can't do it. All you can say is, hey, they won the games they're supposed to. Now go win a game that, that people don't think you're going to win. And you know what? Got fans are uh, much more interested in the season than they were a month ago. Yeah, it's a big thing right there. And I think we'll find out a lot more about this team once they're on the road and take on Louisiana Monroe. I mean, I I know Louisiana Monroe struggled to Army and Texas State, but to snap an eight-game road losing streak this weekend, that would be big for the Miners. That's when I could turn the corner a little bit and say, wow, that's a really significant win for this program. And I think they'll take that at least, uh, it might be a small step, but they'll take a next step in their uh, development in this rebuild. No doubt. More coming up as Sports Talk rolls along. Bottom of the hour. Let's get right back to him. Adrian Broad is standing by with his Sports Center update. 33 now past the hour. 880-5763. Our telephone number as we continue. Don't forget, Jeff Perlman's coming up 30 minutes from now. Talk about his new book, Three Ring Circus. Talking about the Lakers of the Kobe and um, Shaq days with Phil Jackson. So we'll do that coming up uh, at 5. That, that book, by the way, drops tomorrow. So that's going to be pretty uh, exciting as well. Um, 880-5763. That is our telephone number as we continue here on Sports Talk. Look, um, and this uh, came in from Pinky on the app. Gee, Orly, what a sore winner. Don't you love that, by the way? When, when, you, when you beat up, team up, win a game decisively, and then you're still calling in to complain. Isn't that's that the funny. best? Yeah, that is the best. I'm with Pinky on that. That's funny. I agree with you. I agree. As far as UTEP goes, look, there are things they're doing right now that I'm excited about. They're not turning the ball over. They didn't even do that much of it against Texas, to be honest with you. They've, they've done well protecting the ball. They've also forced some fumbles. That's good. Um, what I'd like to see UTEP do more of um, in terms of just you know games to come, Adrian, is get more than two guys involved in the passing game. I think that is something I would love to see a third receiver option develop behind uh, Cowing and, and uh, Garrett. That, or, or shall I say Laufenberg? Because uh, now that Garrett's going to be wearing Luke Laufenberg's number two with Laufenberg on the back for the rest of the season, minus October 17th, which he's going to wear um, his, uh, his name to salute his mom. Um, I think that ultimately, if they could just develop a third option for Hardison, I'd be pretty excited. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think they tried to get Trent Thompson involved, had three targets in this game. They looked to the to Walter Don as that other option. But to me, Steve, I think it's a clear option. It's Devon Cooper. You've got to give him more snaps. You've got to give him uh, more passing attempts because he has the hands. He has the proper route running skills. You just hope that he can continue to stay involved in this offense and, and that he's moving and progressing along with this group. And I, I do agree with you. I think that when it comes to the passing game, not only do you want more receivers involved but man let Gavin Hardison lose that bomb that he had to Jacob Cowing was amazing that that's a really good pass that he had over the past weekend and get him uh, more involved let him loose and let him throw the ball he has the arm he has guys that can go out and make plays you're 100% right utilize that utilize that I'm with you on that one thank you by the way the um the decision to wear number 17 um, is actually in memory of his sister who passed away. Um, and I had said his mom, and I apologize. It's his sister who passed away. So uh, Justin Garrett's going to wear number two all year for Luke Laufenberg. Um, and then on the 17th of October, he'll wear 
uh, number 17 in honor of his sister. So thank you for that, Adrian. 36 now past the hour, 8805763. That is our telephone number as we continue here on Sports Talk. And I'm with you. I am 100% with you on the uh, passing game. Let him throw. He's got a howlitzer. Use that arm. Um, and, you know, early on, I know the percentage was down. He's He has been suffering from some drop balls. There's no doubt about it. I think he's about 55% on the season, but he should be closer to about 65 or 70 when you look at the passes that have been dropped so far this year. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And he, he started off slow in this game like we talked about earlier, 1-7. And then after that, he he was 14 of 18 for the rest of the game, finished off 15 of 25 uh, through the air, and then also chipped in with 195 passing yards. Didn't have a touchdown, did have two sacks in this game. But his mobility in the pocket and his ability to throw on the run, that really surprised me. I, I couldn't believe that we've seen uh, Gavin Hardison scramble out of the pocket throw on a run and get it to his receiver so accurately as we've seen in just those two wins so far. Let me say this once again. I was telling this to a friend of mine I was talking about earlier today. We were discussing UTEP football. All right. And again, this is this. This has not over. I'm not going to overhype them or hype them at all. But all I'm going to say is it is nice to, to know three games into a football season that At quarterback, running back, and wide receiver, this team appears to be set for a while. Cowing should be a number one target for the next three seasons. Hardison looks like he is going to be the man. For the next three seasons, at least, because they're going to get another year next. Uh, next, they're going to they don't lose this eligibility, so they could actually play four years if they want. And then Hankins still, to me, seems like a guy that you know at running back can do big things for the next four years. So that right there gets me excited because those are key skilled position players, quarterback running back, wide receiver. Now, Garrett's a senior. I don't know if he's going to come back next year. He could just say, no, nah, I'm done. I'm going to you know, move on. He could, though, if he wants to, come back and play again next season for the Miners. Um, same thing goes for Josh Fields. So ultimately, Adrian, when you look at this team on the offensive side of the ball, you got to figure that as Hankins and Hardison get more and more reps over the next um, eight games, they will get better. And it's nice to see that there is some actual talent, not just in the pipeline, on the field that's having a chance to deliver some W's for UTEP, no matter what the level of competition is. I feel better about Hardison and Hankins and, and Cowing at those three skilled positions than I have in a long, long time. Yeah, you have to be uh, really impressed with just the youth on this team uh, throughout the roster, and I think that's really important to know. I mean, even you look on the defensive side, you got Prey Zamehuli. He's a younger guy. He had a phenomenal game this past weekend with two pass breakups and the only sack of the Miners' defense uh, last Saturday. But I'm with you. I mean, Dion Hankins, a young running back who can come back next year as a redshirt freshman. Gavin Hardison mm. could come back as a redshirt sophomore. How about Jacob 
Cowing coming in as a true sophomore next year. He's already a star in this Conference USA League so far. I mean, he's among the FBS leaders when it comes to receiving yards. I, I think that this team has the making of a nice young nucleus. Now it's how yep. they continue to develop that talent. That's what I'm really interesting uh, interested in moving forward. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. And anybody that follows UTEP, you probably say the same exact thing. The talent's there. How will they develop it the rest of this season into the next few years? That remains to be seen. All right. 19 in front of five. As sports talk continues. When we come back, we'll give you our player of the game from Saturday for the minors and our play of the game as well. That and more as sports talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 48 pass as we continue here on Sports Talk. Congratulations to Manuel Contreras for winning the $1,000 scholarship for the Back to School Expo. Thanks to the Oscar Arrieta All-State Agency. And to all UTEP fans, you can pick up an All-State clear bag to have at the next UTEP game at one of the five locations of the Oscar Arrieta All-State Agency. Oscar Arrieta is the official insurance agent of the UTEP Miners. All right, let's get back to it. 8805763 that is our telephone number here is Rick out in Clint he's been hanging through the break Rick welcome good to hear from you Oh good to good to hear from you Steve uh, and and Adrian uh, I have a I'm a season ticket holder been doing that for at least 30 years uh and uh I I'm uh, I follow the miners closely and I I've seen some things that I'd like to comment on sure. uh, if if that's okay and then I have a couple of questions as well um, I, what is going on with that first quarter doldrum? I mean, they just can't seem to get out of the box. It, you know, they almost, um, you know, they seem to, to, to not, I don't know, it takes them a little while to warm up, and they, they can't do that from now on. Once we start playing teams like uh, Monroe and, uh, and Southern Miss and La Tech and those guys, uh, if, 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 we, if it takes a whole quarter to get uh, – get into the groove of things, we're going to be, they're going to bury us just like UT did. I'll say this, um, you know, some can say, well, they have not had a uh, an opportunity to see any game film on any of their opponents, so they really don't know for sure what's coming at them since they haven't seen anything yet, which there is some validity to, but you're right. Yeah, okay. I mean, coming out of the gate and, and starting slow offensively is the thing that really bothers me. I mean, defense, if you give up a score early on, that's one thing, but I want to see this offense come out flying out of the gate and not having to wait till the second and third or fourth quarters to start putting up points. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and um, I, this may be a question. If you ever have Chico on, um, uh, you know, if you have him on, on your show, uh, I'd like to know why he doesn't utilize the tight end a little more. And, uh, I, I mean, he almost, I mean, he's a, he's a blocking tight end, but I, I'm sure he'd, he'd be wide open most of the time because they're, they're focusing in on the uh, on the two wideouts, and uh, like you were saying, I think it, it's time to bring in a third guy like Cooper into the picture. I mean, he's he's equally as talented as Howling and uh, and Garrett, and uh, that would uh, make it a little tougher on the defenses not to key on one guy um, or two. And uh, I'd like to see them uh, throw that screen a little bit more, like uh, with Walter Don or. Or even Josh Fields, was, you know, these are scatbacks that can fly, you know, once they're in the open. And uh, I'd like to see them uh, be utilized in that fashion. 
I, and do you think it's just that uh, he uh, Chico's not ready to open up the playbook for Hardison yet because he doesn't have a lot of experience? You know, I listened to the press conference today, and one of the things that they said was that they just haven't shown nearly what their playbook has these first three games. They Now, maybe they haven't wanted to give away some of their plays because they're opposition of what they have yet to come, but they've said it's been a very vanilla type of offense that they've been running so far, and because of certain situations, they just haven't gone deeper into the playbook, but there's a lot more there that we'll have a chance to see. So maybe it's that they just didn't want to show all their hands in the, against these FCS opponents and wanted to save it until they uh, they played better teams. I don't know. Okay, okay. Um, and on the defensive side, um, we're still not getting much of a pass rush, and um, and I see that um, our you know Cox has a formation of uh, a D line with sometimes only three uh, yeah. three defensive linemen, and then and then some linebackers. But uh, it seems like. Especially this week, I think we're, uh, Monroe is a passing team. That guy suits, uh, thrown for quite a number of yards. And uh, we're going to need to put some heat on this guy or else uh, they're, they're going to blow us out. I'm with you. I don't know. I mean, as far as blowing out, they haven't done anything these first two games against Texas State offensively or Army. But I understand your concern. Look, praise Amahuli had a sack. I think he's their best defensive player. Adrian and I have raised, raved about him. And, Adrian, they're going to have to figure out a way just to get some more pressure. I agree exactly with what um, Rick's talking about. They need to find a way to, to, to start getting you know more than one sack a game. And you know they had a sack uh, in each of these two FCS games, but we want to see more than that. Yeah, and the injury to Josh Ortega on the defensive end is really a, a tough loss for this team. They were relying him as, on him as a senior leader, yeah. uh, as a defensive end to you know make up that four-man front, and now they resulted back to a three-man front as a result. By the way, Ortega's out the next four to five weeks. Um, Deion Hankins expected to be back for Saturday. Uh, hearing it's just a bruise for Hankins. So um, it might even have been a coach's decision to let him rest this past week and, and go with Fields in AWOD instead. So good questions, good calls. I appreciate it, Rick. Thanks for getting in. I've got about a minute left to go. Ray, I know that's going to not do any justice to your calls because of what you like to deliver, but do the best you can and get it all in in 60 seconds for me, please. Oh, my goodness. Well, first off, I'm still rejoicing over Anthony Davis and, you know, his main shot and yesterday winning shot, I should say, Steve. You know, with everything that went on in that game, them going up and down and being able to hold on at the end. And I heard a lot of people talking about how the Lakers were fortunate to get out of there with a victory. I mean, had the Nuggets won that game, they'd have been fortunate to get out of there with a victory as well. But you look at the way that game ended, all they had to do was grab a rebound, grab a rebound, and they secure victory. Uh, you know, even though he made that shot, I still think our player of the game was Alex Caruso. I mean, that guy is playing his butt off right now. And I think what's been coming very apparent in this series is how deep the Lakers are and something that maybe people weren't taking great notice at until now because of all the people that are playing. Dwight Howard coming back in and being a factor. You know, switching gears over to the NFL. I'm real happy. Hurry, Ray. I'm running out of time. You got to do quicker. Come on now. I'm real happy my Rams went in and got that victory over the Eagles, you know, giving your Cowboys, you know, a little bit of breathing life and not realizing how fortunate the Cowboys are in getting that that uh, onside kick, being able to watch and sit there looking like spin the bottle. Everybody's sitting there watching that football. So, you know, I'm looking at both my teams doing well, and I want to end, Steve, with just saying congratulations on your 25 years. You're doing a hell of a job. Keep it up. 
Ray, keep in touch. We'll talk to you later on during the week. Thanks for keeping it brief. Hour two, Jeff Perlman next. He's talking Lakers' new book, Three Ring Circus. The sports talk continues. It's called Three Ring Circus. Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty. In fact, the author of this book, who joins us live to begin hour number two, um, last time we had him on the show was when he had just finished his USL, uh, a USFL book. And I remember asking him, I said, Jeff, what's your next project? And he wouldn't divulge the information at the time because he is so exhausted from everything, all the blood, sweat, and tears he put into the USFL book. But it's only fitting that a man that enjoys writing about sports circuses would then chime into this one on the Lakers and uh, what's going to be a a great read since it goes uh, down tomorrow. And he's Jeff Perlman, and he joins us live to begin Hour 2 of Sports Talk. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, how you been? Uh, I mean, we're living in 2020, and that means not the best, but considering everything, I'm doing okay. Thank you. Sounds to me like you've made the most of the pandemic, since you're still able to get a book that's getting released during this time, and uh, the Lakers are still alive in the playoffs right now in 2020. So, you know, as as tough as a year as it's been for Lakers fans, ever since the news first broke about uh, the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, uh, they still right now are just two wins away from getting this team back into the NBA Finals. Yeah, it's also interesting. Um... Of all the sports, I feel like the one that has figured it out best clearly is the NBA. They just have been ahead on it on this from the beginning. And of all the sports people are talking about, it feels like the NBA is just far. Like the other day, I saw the Padres tweet out, "Congratulations, I'm making the postseason." And I thought, "Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't even know that was happening." So um, the NBA has it figured out in major ways, and the Lakers clearly do too. Absolutely right. Now, uh, I'm curious, uh, since you spent a couple of years on this, had you decided this was a topic you wanted to go deep into even while you were uh, busy promoting uh, the USFL book? Um, I think it was toward the end of that where I really, um, I don't know, you know what happens is you finish a book and then you're supposed to take, everyone says, oh, you're going to take time to rest, but I'm not that good at that. I just don't do it that well. So. I was thinking about what the next subject would be, and I live out here in Southern California, and I start thinking about the largeness of Shaq and the largeness of Kobe, who was still alive at the time, the largeness of Phil Jackson, and how great the Lakers are just to write about. And um, I don't know, it just seemed like a really good topic. So I guess probably when I talked to you, I knew what I was going to do. I just was just a little guarded about it. I think what's interesting also is um, you chose the time period of 1996 to 2004 and you could have gone much deeper than that but ultimately it seemed like that was the period in which Kobe Bryant really developed I mean he was a superstar pretty early on in his NBA career with all the hype and build-up surrounding him but uh, you could almost say that by 04 everything really reached uh, its its full uh, you know its full capacity and full development well, basically, it covers the years when Shaq and, Ly- or Shaq and Kobe arrived to the year Shaq and Phil left. So I thought I just really wanted to cover the years where they were together because it's such an interesting period of a lot of fighting, but also a ton of success and so many interesting characters kind of coming in and out, including, in no order, you know, Nick Van Exel, Dennis Rodman, J.R. Ryder. Uh, you know, there's just a, a million different, really funky, cool, unique people 
played for the Lakers during that time period. So I kind of kept it to that. Malone, Peyton, this whole thing was really interesting. At the same time, you always seem to pick books that involve great characters and great stories. And I'm sure for you, that's a, that's a prerequisite. If you've got a topic that doesn't have something that you think won't be entertaining as heck for people to read, you don't want any part of it. Well, I mean, I feel like everyone has a story. and I really do. I feel like if, if, if there was a demand for a book about you know, the football career of Jack Trudeau and his Indianapolis Colts years, well... I feel like there's an interesting story there. The problem is it's hard to get a ton of people to go to a bookstore to buy the Jack Trudeau biography. So I try to look for stories that interest me, but also stories that have a wider appeal, because this is how I make my living, too. So if anyone out there in Texas is interested in the Jack Trudeau Indianapolis Colts book, I'm happy to write it, but I just need some guarantee that people will want to read it. Jeff Perlman joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Who do you feel was a more guarded superstar, uh, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I would say probably Kobe, young Kobe especially. Um, he sort of he was good with media at the beginning, and he kind of let himself be open to media, and then he stopped. And it wasn't that he was unfriendly; he wasn't unfriendly. He was very, 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 very shielded and protective and didn't give that much. And um, I think he really felt burned by some of the things that happened in the media as far as references to Shaq and the whole Shaq Kobe. And um, Jordan, I, was kinda, he wasn't that fascinating of a talker, but he was always there. And I feel like what you got with Jordan was what you sort of what he said was what you got. And it was boilerplate, but okay. And I feel like Kobe a lot of times was spent trying to uh, avoid that all. So definitely, I mean, neither of them touched Shaq. Guys like Shaq were just really out there and explosive. But um, Kobe was definitely more guarded. At the same time, I think it, it bears repeating that as Kobe was growing up, which was during really the, the years of, of Jordan's greatness, he emulated him a lot as a kid and, and started uh, wanting to, to be like him in every way possible, uh, both on and off the court. Uh, that is correct. I mean, when he reported to uh, the Lakers, he was just mimicking Jordan left and right from licking his lips to the way he talked, the cadence, uh, his approach to workouts, uh, you know, everything, the way he put his wristbands on, the way he put his shirt on over his uniform. It was just a Michael Jordan tribute band, which sounds a little weird and probably struck some of those guys as a little weird. But the thing that's interesting is um, he actually became Jordan, like he almost became Jordan. And to think that someone would imitate, you know, we all grew up with the Just Like Be Like Mike commercials. You know, like Mike, I want to be like Mike. He actually became like Mike. He set out to do it and did it. So it might have been weird and it might have struck people as odd, but it was kind of amazing. Especially when you think about the market he was in. You know, you look at the, the big markets in professional sports and you can say that L.A. and New York are the two big ones. Then there's Chicago, and that's where Jordan made his name uh, over all those great years. But uh, the truth is, is that, um, you know, if Kobe Bryant is playing in Utah, like the mailman and John Stockton, uh, great talent, but he wouldn't be under the, the microscope as much as he is, obviously, playing in Showtime where Magic uh, and, and that whole great dynasty in the 80s really launched the Lakers again. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, you see it come back all over again with, with Kobe and then Shaq. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Kobe, I mean, Kobe Bryant was almost drafted by the Nets. They came very, very, very close to drafting Kobe with the number eight pick in 1996. And I think Kobe in New Jersey, playing for John Calipari, 
he probably starts right off the bat. He's probably shooting, you know, 31% from the field, but, you know, averaging 23 a game. There's definitely a parallel universe here where Kobe Bryant becomes Carmelo Anthony. Because this is a guy who scores a lot of points, but he's not really respected as a winner. Um, I think he got very lucky going to L.A. I really do. I think that was a perfect situation. I think being teamed up with, first of all, being teamed up with Dale Harris as his coach um, was really important. You know, he protected him early on. Kobe didn't appreciate it, but he was protected early on. And I think them playing for Phil was, um, you know, Phil Jackson just got the best out of him. He hated it half the time, but he got the best out of him. Well, then again, you look at Phil Jackson, Jeff, and and how fortunate he was because ultimately he was the one responsible for um, allowing Michael Jordan to go from just being a great scorer in the league and the human highlight reel into being uh, you know a, a guy that that won six rings and and ultimately was so dynamic on the floor during his time in Chicago and then he parlays that into Los Angeles and and ultimately has the opportunity to to mold uh, that you know that same kind of team with, with Kobe and Shaq and company. Of course, I mean it was a. Uh... People always say, oh, you know, those, oh, he's, uh, he had the most talent. He had the most talent, blah, 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 blah. And it's true, he had a ton of talent. Phil Jackson's ability to sort of weave people together and cohesion and get people to agree to disagree but play really hard, he's really good at that, like really good at that. He, what he did with those two guys, I mean, Shaq and Kobe really wanted nothing to do with one another. They did not get along most of the time. They were uber-talented. And the way Jackson was able to, number one, not involve himself in all the ridiculous little, you know, standoffs and disputes. And number two, like trust the veterans on that team to handle it for him. The Brian Shaw's and the Rick Fox. He just was really savvy about it all. A lot of coaches would have would have shoved and you know would have put their opinions on it and just gone crazy and it would have been a mess. But he was just, he's the best standoff coach ever, where he just allowed things to be organic. It was really impressive. I was going to say, you look back at all the great coaches in the history of the league, and some will say, well, no one's ever had the talent to work with like Phil Jackson has. But with talent comes egos. And, and sometimes those egos can get the best of you and destroy a team as easily as it can make a championship team. And How delicate do you think it is to try to balance all of that out, especially as you started going into the book and realizing that Kobe and Shaq were completely different personalities. They often clashed on and off the court, but Phil was able to get the most out of them and, and and get them to work together to win uh, win all those rings. Well, it worked until it stopped working. Like uh, that last year, oh three, oh four, everyone was done. Uh, Kobe didn't want to play with Shaq anymore, and he almost left for the Clippers. Shaq didn't really enjoy playing with Kobe anymore. Thought the Lakers should trade him. Phil Jackson was wondering why his contract wasn't being extended or renewed. Um, Kobe was going through the whole sexual assault trial in Eagle, Colorado, flying back and forth. Malone and Peyton were there, and it was kind of hot and cold with that. Like, nothing was working. So, it was great while it worked. And Phil Jackson got every, it was always taping things together and hoping veterans would step in and just trying really hard. Uh, and it was great while it lasted, and when it ended, it just couldn't last anymore. Jeff Perlman joining us right now here on Sports Talk. The name of his new book, Three Ring Circus, comes out tomorrow. Uh, in fact, if you purchase a copy of the book on Amazon and you DM Jeff a screenshot of the pre-order, um, he will hook you up with goodies. Now, you're the only author I know that comes up with stickers, signed book plates, possibly even a, t- a T-shirt to, to randomly send out to people once they uh, send you a, a DM of the book. 
Um, I mean, we're in a pandemic and it's hard to sell books, you know, and there's a lot going on in the world and there's a presidential election and COVID and everything. And I also, I like engaging with readers. Like I actually like engaging with readers. And if, it, if, you know, a couple of stickers and a conversation convinces you to give the book a try, I mean, that's great. And if we have a conversation, you don't decide to buy the book. That's fine too. I just, I kind of enjoy the back and forth. You know, I'm not one of these authors. I don't know. I, I just write books. I'm not nothing special. So, for me, it's cool. And if someone buys a book, it's just an honor for me. I like it. All right. So you can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. And again, if you uh, pre-order, send him a screenshot and a DM, and uh, he will hook you up with a bunch of goodies uh, just for the pre-order. I promise you that. So, hey, do me a favor. I want to talk more about this with you, but can you stick with me through the break? Sure. Come back more with Jeff as we continue on Sports Talk. But first, let's go to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update for us. 19 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Again, chatting right now with uh, Jeff Perlman. He's the author of the brand new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. It's uh, out starting tomorrow. You can pick up an advanced copy at Amazon, send the DM out to Jeff, let him know you bought the book, and he'll hook you up with a bunch of goodies that'll be mailed directly to you uh, as a result of supporting him during the pandemic. Uh, he is back with us right now on our phone lines as we continue here on Sports Talk. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I look at the egos that we were talking about before the break, especially um, Shaq and and Kobe. And as you were digging deeper and deeper into this in the, in the two years that it took you to really put this project together, who do you think was just tougher to get along with, uh, Shaq or, or Kobe? Well, Shaq was easy to get along with for the most part. He had his moments. He's probably the best team that I've ever written about as far as just kindness to others. And a lot of stories of him taking guys under his wing. And, you know, like uh, Mark Madsen was one of the Lakers. And Mark Madsen came out of Stanford. And he was a uh, he was a Mormon kid, went on a mission. And he reports to the Lakers. He's single. And Shaft just makes it his goal to get Mark Madsen dates with Mormon women. And whenever they're, if they're flying, he would ask the flight attendant and say, are you Mormon? Uh, if he's walking to the Lakers office and there were women there, he'd say, any of you Mormon? He just made it his goal to get Mark uh, Mark Madison a Mormon date. Um, there was a young a guard named Mike Penberthy on the team who didn't own a suit. Shaq saw that. He said, uh, tomorrow, I'm gonna, I want you to meet up with my tailor. We're going to buy you six suits. He buys him six new suits. It was on and on of paying for funerals of the parents of his teammates and flying families in to see the son's first game as a Laker and on and on and on. He was one of the best teammates who's ever walked the earth. He really was. He's just a special and unique teammate. Flawed, but, but, but great. And Kobe was just really guarded. The thing about Kobe is he was super to himself. And he didn't really get, when he got married, not one teammate was invited to his wedding. Um, when he reported to camp in 2003 during the sexual assault uh, uh, incident uh, or aftermath, he was asked by a reporter, will you confide in any of your teammates about this? And his response was, why would I? He was just a different guy than Shaq. You know, Shaq was a big, lovable bear, and Kobe was just this kind of to himself, really guarded individual. When do you think he really fully matured, both on and off the court? Talking about Kobe Bryant, um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of athletes I've covered through the years, their athletic mortality is good for them. 
the moment when you're no longer as good as you used to be, the moment where you get injured like he did and you have to battle back, and the moment when you have a teammate who's better than you or you can't always take the last shot or your endurance isn't what it was. And his last few years, I thought he became a much more likable and endearing uh, person, at least public figure. And when you see him when he was retired, I mean, he was great. You know, and he was really, he was on Ellen and he was on Jimmy Kimmel and he was an Academy Award winner. And he seemed, and a uh, father of four girls and a really proud one of that. And I do think sometimes when you get older and you realize basketball isn't the only thing in your life, it changes a person, you know, sports in general, and it changes you. And I think it changed him. Absolutely right. Um, meanwhile, you know, it's funny. On that uh, roster from uh, 2000 and 2001, when they uh, had won, I believe it was their second title uh, in a mm-hmm. row, Greg Foster was on that on that team. And yeah. Greg played here at UTEP. So I, I remember, I, I mean, I've been hosting this now since 97, Jeff. So we had Greg on the show once, live, after a practice and i remember listening to him talk to us and he was getting razzed by it might even have been kobe but some of the teammates at the time as he was talking but you know he had battled against the lakers with utah um when Mm -hmm. he was part of those teams with with malone and stockton then he joined up with them and you know you look at just that season and and who was on that team and you you also had Derek fisher you had fox you had horace grant you had ron harper you had big shot bob and robert ory um it was it was a loaded team uh, that was that was on that, and that's the thing that sometimes people forget is yes, you had Kobe and you had Shaq, but it was an unbelievable supporting cast that the Lakers had that year. Oh yeah, actually, all those years they always brought in these veterans. They were kind of an interesting team. Like um, they always brought in support players who would fit uh, in these little notches. Um, Lindsey Hunters and J.R. Riders and Greg Fosters and J.R. Reeds and. They were just, it's an endless supply who's who of the NBA who played for the Lakers during that period. Mitch Richmond was there for a brief period of time. Um, Samaki Walker. It was always guys who were, they were everyone else's, they would have been everyone else's sixth man. And on the Lakers, they were like the eighth man. They had a lot of really good players, maybe a tiny bit past their prime, but really useful. And also, they were really good locker room guys. Like Greg Foster was a really good locker room guy. He hated Shaq when he was in Utah. Like Shaq was the enemy and and then he came and played against him and had a real appreciation for Shaq, sort of how physical he was and how hard he was. And those guys are really important. Those role players, the Greg Fosters, Mark Madsons, Kareem Rushes, on and on and on, they had more interesting uh, reserves coming out of L.A. than I think any other team in the era. I know he only played a handful of games in the 98-99 season, but what was the Laker locker room like uh, when Dennis Rodman was there? Um, well, Rodman was a weird addition. He came when uh, Del Harris had just been fired to get Rodman. And um, he's the only player any of the guys ever remember who would shower before the games, not after. And he, you know, he, when he, on his first day of practice, he showed up. Kurt Rambis is a new coach. Kurt Rambis introduces himself to Rodman. And Rodman says, hey, Kurt, so... I think I need a few weeks before I start playing so I can just get my mind straight. I'm going to go to Vegas. Is that cool with you? And Karam was like, wait, what? Um, he was good for a little tiny bit of time. He could always rebound. Um, but there wasn't much left in that tank. And he was just crazy. You know, he was just way out there. And by the end, he wasn't showing up on time if he was showing up at all. He smelled all like cigarettes and, you know, alcohol. And by the end, it was a failed experiment for 
Jared Buss was willing to do it because there was a strike short season, and he was just kind of like, I don't really care about this. It's a throwaway. So let's get someone in who can bring fans. And if nothing else, Rodman is pretty good at bringing in fans. YYS uh, chimes in on the show. He wants to know, uh, since uh, Jeff, big Lakers fan, excited about the book. Um, since you know you kind of alluded to this uh, taking a couple of years, can you give uh, people a little bit of an idea in terms of research, prep, and finally writing the finished product, what uh, you know, a book like this really, what you go through for something like this? Um, it's kind of like boot camp. It's uh, usually take two years, and... Um, it's a lot of of interviewing. You know, I try to interview about I got about 300 people for this. I'm trying to find every player, every coach, every teammate, every ball boy, every opponent. You just compile this huge list. You uh, first thing I always do is I order every uh, media guide from the era on eBay, and then you go through the media guides and you make sure to find everyone you can in the media guides. Meanwhile, I build up a huge uh, article library, so I ended up printing out about 10,000 pages all recycled when I was done of articles and research just on the Lakers in that era. Um, it's pretty dizzying. And after, by the end of it, you're just like, I want nothing more to do with this ever again. And then you take some time off and you're, and you're happy again, but it's, it's rough. It's, it's, it beats up on you. It sounds like it, but for you, it's a labor of love. It's your ninth book. So it's, you've done this so many times before. It's just a matter of, uh, of just getting through it, right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta fight and muscle through it. That's all. Well, you're you're lucky because this is what you do for a living, and writing is great, and reporting is great, and you have these moments when you're with Phil Jackson in Montana, or you're sitting with Shaq in Atlanta, or just sitting in a coffee shop writing, and like I actually like to write, so um, it's hard. But few things that are worthwhile are easy, you know. So writing a book is hard, but it's actually worthwhile. Was there anybody that's a, a main focal point in the book that you were not able to uh, to sit down and, and, and talk to at some point during the process? Oh, yeah, there always are. I didn't get Kobe. I got Shaq and Phil. I did not get Kobe. Um, Ron Harper kind of blew me off. Brian Shaw. You know, there are always guys. There are always guys. And then you, But there's always other guys to talk to. That's the thing. If someone doesn't talk, you say, all right, I'm going to find five other guys who, who would do me even better. So, yeah, it's never. I've never had a book where everyone I wanted to talk to. Never. When you look at the dynasty uh, that this team had, and, and then you try and, and compare it to, to Magic and Showtime, is that fair since Lakers fans can, can really look at these two uh, eras and say that it's amongst the, you know, the best in, in the history of the franchise? Although some of my older listeners that remember uh, what it was like with West and Chamberlain uh, back in the uh, late 60s would probably have something to say about that. Um. I don't know. You know, they wore the same uniforms, but are they similar teams? You can always make similarities. The Showtime Lakers were really based around Kareem with Magic thrown in. The Sh- these Lakers are based around Shaq with Kobe thrown in. They both had, you know, top-shelf all-time great NBA coaches, Pat Riley and Phil Jackson. Um, they both began sort of with a little bit of a sputter. Uh, Paul West said, although he did want to win a championship quickly, but, you know, Paul West said, Dell Harris, uh, Jack McKinney, Kurt Rambis. Um, I think the Lakers of the 80s and Showtime Lakers had much better support staff, uh, supporting cast. I mean, you look at guys like Jamal Wilkes and Bob McAdoo, Byron Scott, James Worthy. These Lakers were more sort of Glenn Rice, Rick Fox, you know, Robert Ory, really, really good players, but their Showtime teams were probably a little deeper. But they were both just explosive, exciting, star-centered teams that were made for, for L.A. Jeff, what's your favorite story from the book? If there's one in particular that stands out more than the others, what would it be? 
I mean, I love everything about J.R. Ryder. Everything about J.R. Ryder. So J.R. Ryder was there for one year. Um, he once had to, uh, he once missed a practice because he overslept. And they were on the road in a hotel. And he asked the front desk clerk at the hotel to write a note that he could give to Phil Jackson. So he actually showed up late to practice with a note from Jim, the clerk at the hotel, that said, Dear Coach Jackson, uh, I am sorry we forgot to give a wake-up call to J.R. Ryder. He was late today. That's our fault. Um, this is an adult NBA player bringing a note from the clerk to the head coach of the Lakers. Another time, he missed a bunch of practices because his car broke down, but he only lived 300 feet away from the Lakers practice facility. But he said he couldn't make it because his car broke down. He just won. There's so many great stories about that guy. He's one of my favorite characters in the history of the NBA. I love it. That's awesome. I thought it was also interesting to learn when I, when I was going through the book that uh, Phil Jackson never really wanted Gary Payton to be a Laker at any point in his career. No, he liked Derek Fisher as his point guard, but they went with the dream team kind of element when they brought in Malone, Payton, Shaq, Kobe. Um, but Payton was not a triangle point guard in any way, shape, or form. I mean, triangle point guards are guys who are pass first, shoot second. And Payton was a um, dribble first, shoot second, pass third guy. Um, a great point guard, but a terrible fit for that offense. And I think you saw in the finals how exposed he was. He couldn't guard anyone. He was just broken down at that point. Uh, but, you know, uh, Jim uh, Jim Buss was a big proponent of bringing Gary Payton, so they brought in Gary Payton. You think we'll ever see the triangle again in the NBA? I do not. I think it's uh, similar to the wing tee offense in football where things come along, they're really good, people figure it out, they figure it out more. And then it gets left in the dust. You see little, you know, variations of it and ideas that came from it. You'll certainly see it in high school and college, but I think as an NBA, it's kind of when, when it was done, it was pretty much done. I hear you. Three Ring Circus, folks, comes out tomorrow. If you pre order the book on Amazon, you can DM Jeff Perlman, our guest, and uh, you'll get uh, some goodies. That's for sure. Signed book plate, slew of stickers. And who knows what else you might have in store uh, for everybody. That's that's coming up tomorrow when the book drops. All right, before I let you go, and you've been terrific. As always, a great, great conversation with, with you, and it's, I would expect nothing less. Um, have you already decided what your next project's going to be? Or are you finally going to rest a little bit and, and take it easy now? I'm doing a Bo Jackson biography, my next book, Bo Jackson. All right. So you're, so you're kind of staying along the same one of the same subject lines from this. Is it because of the book and what you did when you were going into it, and you said, you know what, Phil would make a great uh, would make a great solo project. No, not as well. Phil Jackson, Bo Jackson. Oh, Bo Jackson. Oh, even better. Bo Jackson. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right, good. More my speed. I love it. All right, Jeff. Listen, appreciate the time. Congratulations, and let's get a chance and do this again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. YouTube. Jeff Perlman, as we continue here on Sports Talk. 33 past the hour. Adrian's back. He has Sports Center, And then we'll come back with more right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.